Lord God, we are thankful uh, for a new year. Lord, as we think about uh, 2023, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to also look back on 2022 and think about your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, if there's one theme that's true for every single one of us, no matter if it was the most difficult year of our lives or the most joy-filled, Lord, the one theme for all of us is your faithfulness. Lord, your faithfulness is constant and it is true. You are the same today, uh, 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 yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so, Lord, I pray as we think about this new year that you'd help us to lean into your faithfulness all the more. Lord, whatever is in store for us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust in you every single day. Lord, help us now as we look at Psalm 19. Give us understanding and wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2022 has come to a close, and the new year is upon us, which means for many of us, uh, we have sat down and we've thought through some New Year's uh, resolutions. Uh, This is true for many of us, not all of us, but it's usually an annual tradition uh, in which we stop and we look at various areas of our lives that we want to change or we want to uh, improve upon. And yet for many of us, those resolutions typically end in failure by early spring, if we are honest. In fact, research shows that 45% of us will make a New Year's resolution this year, but only 8% will actually keep their resolution throughout the year. Only 8% will be successful in these very important resolutions. And we know this not just statistically, but we know this experientially. Uh, We probably have all been there. I know I've been there. We sit down and we think through even very obvious areas that we want to improve, that we want to grow in, and we put so much time and energy and work into this with such expectation uh, when just a few months later, uh, we kind of give up on them. And it made me wonder, as we think about you know, today being the first day of 2023, why is that the case? Why do so many of our resolutions fail? I mean, these are usually very obvious areas that we want to grow in, that we want to improve upon. Why do we typically fail at resolutions? And it made me wonder, I, I do wonder if part of the reason why we fail at them, if it's directly tied to the kind of resolution that we typically make. It made me curious, so I did some more digging. I found that 47% of all resolutions are centered on self-improvement. It's basically just focused on me. And that doesn't uh, surprise, shouldn't surprise any of us because we do live in a culture that's obsessed with the self, advancing the self, preserving the self, improving upon oneself. So it doesn't surprise us that many of our resolutions revolve around me, and yet that tends to be a dead end. We either give up on them or it doesn't produce the kind of results that we always want. So as we think about the new year, I wonder, what if this year, what if in 2023, we all had a different kind of resolution? What if instead of making resolutions about improving ourselves, maybe even superficially, maybe watching less TV, losing some weight, removing some bad habits, what if we had a resolution this year that was centered on God? What if this year we made it our goal, every one of us, we made it our goal to fill our minds and our hearts and our lives with more of God through his word. Just think about that for a moment. Think about the impact 
that would have, not only on us as individuals, not only on our families or this church, but think about the impact that would have in our community. If we took seriously the word of God and we feasted upon it every single day, that, that's what I'm going to be suggesting to us this morning. And, and it's, not the, it's not the type of resolution of, hey, read, read through the Bible in a year. That's fine. That's good. Like, I want you to do that. But this resolution is more with the aim of trying to make your soul happy in the Lord every day, as George Mueller put it, and to use God's word to that end. So this is less about, okay, read the Bible every day and check it off your to-do list or read it to gain more head knowledge or more information. No, this resolution, what I'm recommending for every single one of us is to read God's word in such a way that you gain personal and intimate knowledge about God that leads to transformation. Man, what, what better resolution could there be in 2023 than that? than to immerse yourself in God's word every single day. And I'm just going to put my cards on the table. That's my aim today. My aim is to look at Psalm 19 and to have every single one of us walk out of this room convinced that your resolution, maybe not even just for 23, but for the entirety of your life, is to immerse yourself every day in God's word. All right, that's my aim. In fact, I've got three reasons why that should be our resolution from Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. But before we get to the first reason here, I just wanted to give a little bit of, of background, maybe a general outline of Psalm 19. Uh, psalm 19 is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. In fact, C.S. Lewis called this psalm the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the whole world. If you look at Psalm 19, these 14 verses can be broken down into three sections. Section 1, uh, verses 1 through 6, deal with the creation's speech about God. Right? And then the second section, the section that we're going to primarily look at this morning, verses 7 through 11, we see Scripture's speech about God. And then lastly here, verses 12 through 14, is the servant's speech about God and to God. Written by King David, this psalm is all about describing who God is. It is absolutely beautiful. And if you notice the flow here in Psalm 19, it does move from this voiceless praise of glory to God from the handiwork of his creation in verses 1 through 6 to this personal and intimate knowledge and, and transformation through the scriptures in verses 7 through 11. There is an obvious shift when you get to verse 6 to verse 7, moving from creation proclaiming who God is to the scriptures proclaiming who God is. And that transition, that shift is intentional. We are to feel that transition because it's moving from general revelation about God to special revelation about God. And the impact that special revelation has about God through his word has a greater degree of impact than a natural or general revelation about God. And so let's dive in here. Remember, we're trying to answer the question, why should your resolution be to immerse yourself in God's word? Here's the first reason I'm trying to woo you and convince you, is that God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. It's authoritative. It is without error. Now notice the way that David describes the scriptures. He calls it the law, the testimony, 
the precepts, the commandment, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, all referring to the scriptures. But don't just notice uh, what he says. Notice how he describes uh, the scriptures. He uses a six-fold repetition of the Lord. Six times he says the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. See, the reason why the scriptures are sufficient and authoritative is because they are from God and they are of God. That's really important because God has not only spoken, but what he has said is without error. Notice how David describes the scriptures further. He calls them perfect and sure in verse 7, calls them right and pure in verse 8, calls them uh, clean and true. It endures forever. It's altogether righteous, verse 9. This is so important. As I'm trying to convince you to, to center your life around God's word, it's because they are sufficient. And what that means is that only the scriptures are inerrant and inspired Only the scriptures should be the the final authority for faith and godliness in our lives. That all other authorities, all other sources, all other means are subservient to the scriptures. It doesn't mean that things outside the Bible can't be helpful for life and godliness. But what it means is that this is number one. This is foundational. That the scriptures are sufficient. We have everything we need for life and godliness. And the New Testament echoes, reinforces that. Uh, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every good work. And you might be thinking, well, well what, about, what about making a bowl of cereal? Does the scripture speak into that? See, the the Bible doesn't speak in everything, Chris. See, there's no chapter and verse about how to make a bowl of cereal for the glory of God. Well, not so fast. Like, the scriptures won't break down the exact ratio of milk to cereal, of course. But the Bible does speak into how and why you should be eating a bowl of cereal. Oh, you can find all kinds of verses as you think about making a bowl of cereal, something so simple, something so mundane And yet we are called to even doing that small act for the glory of God. And so you should be asking yourself some questions grounded in the scriptures. First thing that comes to mind is, is, it's a stewardship issue. Is this, are you being a good steward of the body that God has given you? Are you being a good steward of the resources God has given you to enable you to make a bowl of cereal? Scripture also informs how to make a bowl of cereal. If you're in the morning, you're with your family, things are kind of crazy, uh, are, are you making that bowl of cereal with kindness, with selflessness? Are you being wise? And how, I mean, scriptures are what will flood your heart and your mind, informing you how to live in every aspect of your life. <laughs> and, and it really comes back to do we actually believe that the scriptures are sufficient? Are we so saturated with the word of God that we would take something so simple as making a bowl of cereal or brushing your teeth or taking out the trash or, or driving to work, those simple Monday, are we allowing the word to drive and impact every aspect of our lives? See, one of our core values at this church is that we're 
driven by the Bible. Everything that we do, it's anchored in God's word. And I hope that you're here today and you actually believe in that. I hope you believe in the sufficiency of scripture. But one way that you can tell is if when you're making a decision as you're living life, if you're constantly asking the question, what does the Bible say? As you're making decisions, as you're figuring out how to live life, your first question is not, does it work? It's not, what do I feel? It's not, what are other people doing? No, what does the Bible say? And so you're coming back to God's word, not Google, not the news, not social media, but you're searching the scriptures to inform and anchor how you live your life. I think this is really important. The authority and the sufficiency of scripture is something that is often attacked. It's attacked every single day. We see that in the world around us, but it's also something that we cannot take for granted even inside the walls of the church, that we want to be people of the book, but we must be convinced that this word should dictate the decisions we make, what kind of spouse we are, how we parent, uh, the type of employee that we are at work, that God has spoken and God has the final word, which also means just because someone disagrees with it, does it make the Bible any less true? The word of God is sufficient. If you don't believe that, you will not immerse yourself in it every day. So there's the first reason, but the second reason to immerse yourself in the word of God is that God's word works. God's word works. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, does God's word have any real impact on my life? I wonder if you've gone through a season in your life where you've wondered, I, I think this is true, maybe it's true, but does it have any real power to affect the way that I live? I know I've asked that question through, through different seasons of my own life. I remember vividly in high school, I was, had my Bible at a coffee shop and I was just staring at it and I thought to myself, I, I know this is true, but I'm not sure it has any impact on how I live my life. It, it feels so outdated, it feels so, so irrelevant. And I remember wrestling with how does the Bible actually change and impact the way I live? And I wonder, have you ever thought that? I wonder if you're wrestling through that right now in your life, that you believe it's true, you believe that from time to time it can be uplifting, but maybe you're doubting its power in your life. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why many of us tend to view the Bible as optional each day. That we tend to view the Bible as something that I'll get to if I have time and energy, but all of these other things come first. I wonder if the source of that is a lack of belief in understanding the effect and power and impact that God's Word can actually have in our lives. Or maybe we think, well, it has only an impact on Sunday morning when it's being preached. That's, that's the only time I get anything out of it. I want to address that question just head on here because I think David addresses that in verses 7 through 9. David, I think, provides three specific outcomes or effects that God's Word has upon our lives. Let me point out just each of these here as we move through. The first one in verse 7a, we see that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's the first effect. God's Word revives the soul. This uh, Hebrew word revive can actually mean to restore or to return. 
But most commonly, it's used throughout the Old Testament, uh, it's translated as repentance. So this word, it means to kind of bring you back to God in obedience to his word. I think the, the New King James Version captures this really well. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Yeah, it's a very accurate interpretation there. So what we learn in this verse is that God's word is so perfect, it's so complete, that as you immerse yourself in it, one of the outcomes is that it will bring you back into relationship with God. It will restore you. It will return you back to God. And that's a great reminder that one of the primary means, one of the primary mechanisms God uses to kind of woo us back into right relationship with him is God's word. That's really good news. And it's good news in my own life because I need, you need something beyond yourself in order to bring you back to the Lord. I know I need that. Like I, I know my own heart. I know my own struggles and, and, and the temptations that I face. I know the war that's in my own heart between right and, and what's wrong. Like that, that song that we sing from time to time, Come Thou Fount, like those lyrics in there really resonate with me of prone to wander, Lord, prone to leave the God I love. Man, I'm like, yeah, I, I feel that sometimes through, through temptations that I face. And so I need something outside of myself to call me, to woo me, to return me back to God in repentance. See, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it describes the heart as being deceitful above all else. Man, what an indictment on culture's view on mankind. Culture would say that we're generally good people. That's not true at all biblically. Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us, no, our hearts are sick that they are deceitful. And part of the deception is that our hearts will allow certain sins to linger there, to hide there. And, and so we need something outside of ourselves in order to shine a light on that sin for us to see it, confess it, and repent of it, and to be restored in right relationship with God. You need that, and I need that. And that's one of the effects that God's word has. But here's the second one. Look at the second half of verse seven. I'm gonna combine this with the second half of verse eight, but verse seven says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then combine this with 8b, it says that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Okay, see the outcome of God's word. It makes the simple wise and it enlightens our eyes. Now that word simple there in the Hebrew, it's a fascinating word. It actually comes from the root word that means open door. And I found that image so helpful in describing someone who is simple. Someone who is simple, their mind is always open. Like someone who is simple lacks discernment and wisdom and, and understanding in order to, to know what to accept and what to reject. Just always open. So someone who's simple is easily swayed because they haven't shut the door of their minds on what God has actually said and what God has made clear. So notice the effect of God's word. Look at what God's word does to us. God's word shows us how to be wise by teaching us how to close the door in our minds on what God has actually said. So it's not just open. We don't read a verse 
and say, oh, okay, God's word says this, but maybe he doesn't mean that. Maybe it means this, or maybe it's that. And just having this open mind on everything that God has said. No, God's word teaches us to say, God has spoken. This is what it means here. And I'm shutting the door and I'm resting on that. God's word makes us wise. Wisdom means knowing how and when to apply right knowledge. So it's not just knowing right and wrong. It's also the application in the right setting at the right time. God's word does that by opening and enlightening our eyes or the eyes of our hearts to knowing what's true and what's right and what's wrong. So God's word helps us to be godlier and in tune to what God desires. But notice the third outcome in verse eight. It says that the precepts of the Lord are right. What does it do? Rejoicing the heart. This is the third outcome. Immersing yourself in God's word leads to increased joy. It rejoices the heart as you immerse yourself in this book. Have you ever thought about God's word in that way? You ever walked through a season of discouragement, being downcast, maybe being overwhelmed with life? Maybe your heart was just in a dark place, feeling lifeless. Do you think to yourself, man, if I turn to God's word, God's word will flood my heart with joy. I wonder how many of us have actually experienced that reality where you needed encouragement. You were feeling discouraged and yet you open up the Bible or a friend sent you a verse or you listen to some teaching of God's word and, and all of a sudden your heart began to be filled with joy. You began to sing God's praises in joy. That's what God's word does. It fills us. It rejoices the heart. Man, that you take a stand, uh, step back and you look at Psalm 19, it's clear that God's word is not static. God's word's living. It's active. It's moving. As we read it and submit ourselves to it, it's, it's doing something. It's working. It's, it's active in our lives. I feel like so often we we look at this book and we're like, yeah, it's true. And we open it and, okay, that, that's a good reminder of this truth and that truth but we don't always approach it with this level of expectation of seeing it and being, man, I want to lean in to what God has to say for me right now because God has a specific purpose. He wants to produce something. He wants to work something in and through my life. I want to read it with that level of expectation. I guarantee if you have that level of expectation, that level of longing as you read God's word, that's going to create more consistency in your life. When you're convinced that God's word works, you will approach it differently. Well, here's the third reason. Finally, the last one I want to point out, verse 10 and 11, is that God's word changes our desires, changes our desires. David says in verse 10, more to be desired are they, talking about the scriptures, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, again, referring to the scriptures, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Notice the way David is describing his longings and his desires, and they're being changed by God's word. God's word changes what we long for and what we desire. The more that we immerse ourselves in this book, the more our longings are transformed so that sin is less appealing and the things of this world are less attractive. 
the more that we're feasting upon the bread of life in God's word, the more that we are desiring him and we desire the things of God. I mean, look at the way David is describing his desire for scripture. He desires scripture more than gold. Think about that. More than gold, he wants God's word. He he, he experiences God's word as being sweeter than honey. Like that's, that's kind of weird. Like if David was a member of our church, like he'd probably be the weird guy that would stand out because he desires this book more than anything in his life. And what a challenge for us. Like that's, I guess that's my question for you. Do you, do you desire God's word in that way? Do you desire the word of God more than anything in your life? More than comfort? More than a few extra minutes of sleep in the morning? more than scrolling through social media or watching TV or financial security? Can you honestly say what I want more than anything else in this world is to be immersed in God's word? Before you answer that too quickly, maybe you don't even need to answer that. All we have to look at is your time in God's word. You can say that you desire it more than anything, but do you spend time immersing yourself in it every day? Because that, that is the answer to that question. I mean, as I was studying this and reading this this week, I was like, man, I want God's word in that way. Like, I want to crave it the way that David craved it. I, I, just want, I just want more of God. That's what I kept thinking. And as I was reading this, I'm just like, man, I want to be that kind of weird Christian that wants God's word more than anything in this world. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm just like, I, I don't want to settle as a Christian. I don't want to to plateau spiritually and to just kind of be like this the rest of my life as a follower of Jesus. Nothing bad, but, but nothing extreme. It's just kind of going like this. I just, I don't want complacency. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through the motions spiritually. I don't want to be that type of Christian or that type of pastor that, that Satan looks at and says, oh, well, there's, there's Chris over there. He's leading his church. He's preaching, but you know, we're, we're not going to spend too much time attacking him because his soul's not immersed in God's word. Let, let's go attack some real Christians because they're the ones that are giving us problems. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I just, I just want more of God. I want more of his word in my life. I want to wake up in the mornings just yearning for one thing, and that is to be filled with God's word. And I want unrestrained worship. I want to be in so in awe of the Lord that it's just this messy worship of God's greatness each and every day. Like I want to be so filled with the word of God that I not only know it, but when life bumps me throughout the day, what spills out of me is the word of God and not my flesh. Like I want that in my life. But man, I want that for you too. Like church, I love you dearly. I love being a pastor here. I tell anybody who asks me, I love what God's doing. I pray for us often. I pray that God gives us this relentless hunger for for the word of God each and every day so we don't waste our lives on things that are meaningless, that things that won't matter a hundred million years from now. I pray that God gives us a craving for just more of God not more information or head knowledge or a pat on the back, but more of the living God in our lives. And I want you to want that for yourself. Look, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, 
I know I should want that, but I don't want that. Like I know it up here, that's what Christians should desire, but if you're honest today, you don't desire God's word the way that David desired God's word. What do I do? Well, if I could encourage you this morning, I would say two things. Number one, you're not alone. If you're struggling to desire God's word the way that you ought, like you're not alone in that. Like it's somewhat normal to go through different seasons where you don't desire the Bible the way that you should. And one of the things that the enemy wants is to make you feel isolated. Like you're the only one. Everyone else is a great Christian, but you're the struggling one because you don't thirst for God's word the way that you ought. Look, that's a lie. There's more people who struggle with that than you think. So I encourage you with that. Secondly, I don't know if this is an encouragement, but it's a reality, is that there's no easy equation to solve a lack of desire for God's word. I wish there was. I wish there was some secret sauce we could just take and all of a sudden we're just desiring God's word. But there. I don't have magic steps for you today. I don't have, okay, do this, then this, and then you'll crave God's word like verse 10. I don't. But one thing that has been helpful for me as I read the Bible and as I have experienced in my own life, one thing that's really helpful to kind of get me down that path is when I stop and I actually think about, like really think about what is my greatest need today? Man, that's clarifying. Like when I just stop and I think, okay, my greatest need, my truest need. What, do, what does my soul need more than anything? And man, that question helps me so much because my greatest need and your greatest need every day is to sit under the waterfall of God's word and to be filled up with the living God. That's what you need and what I need more than anything. And that just helps me be like, okay, I need the word. And the reality is, is that you will never immerse yourself in God's word unless you are convinced of your desperate need for the one with whom this book is actually about. And that's another way that it helps me. As I read God's word more and more, I see Jesus in, in the word. I see Jesus in his beauty and his power and his goodness and his, his patience and his compassion. And the more that I see Jesus, there's just something in me. It's like, I want that. I want more. I, would, I desire him. I desire more of the word. Like in the word, I'm, I'm told that I'm a sinner in need of a great savior. And there's something within me that says, okay, I need the word all the more. Like it's in here that we are told that Jesus died in our place, that Jesus paid for our sins, and that you can be reconciled with your creator God by placing your faith upon Jesus. And I'm like, man, yes, the way of salvation, it's right here. And I just want more of Jesus, want more of God, want more of his word in my life because Jesus is the reward. And if you caught that in verse 11, David talks about this idea of keeping the word, there is great reward. So you notice kind of what, what David has been saying. He's like, man, if you submit yourself to the sufficiency of scripture, if you allow the word to produce its effect in your life, if you desire God's word the way that you should, there is great reward. Well, what's the reward? The reward is knowing God, knowing him intimately, knowing him personally. That is the reward. That, that's David's argument throughout this Psalm, Psalm 19, verses one through six, we know God through creation. Verses seven through 11, we know God personally through the scriptures. And so as we get to the end of this, 
There's just one question that's confronting all of us. And the question is, that is that reward worth it to you? Is the reward of knowing God intimately, is that worth investing time, energy, making God's word the highest priority of your life? Because look, there's all kinds of things that want to just rob your time and energy and take your priorities. So what's going to convince you? What's going to motivate you to saying, no, no, this word, this book above all else? What will actually convince you? David says, you get to know God. You get to know him personally and intimately, not just intellectually, but in the deep places of your heart. You get to know the living God. And is that enough for you? Man, this, this word is so powerful. It's so living. It's so active. And yet every day we have this open invitation to spend time with God in his word. Every day, every single one of us, the invitation is open. And every day you have a decision to say, by faith, to say, yes, I believe that knowing God is worth it. I believe that that reward of knowing God intimately is better than life itself. And I'm going to throw myself and immerse myself in it. Well, before we close, hopefully those three reasons are convincing for you. I, I pray that they are, but I don't just want to say, okay, read the Bible, let's pray and move on. I want to maybe help us a little bit further today by providing uh, what I would call five strategies for daily immersing yourself in God's Word. These are maybe five tips or five helpful things to do. Here's the first one that I would encourage you to do is to carve out non-negotiable time in your schedule to immerse yourself in God's word. Look at me. You're not too busy. You are not too busy to spend time with God in his word because we make time for what we are convinced is actually valuable. Like all of us, hopefully, and I've said this before, but all of us brush our teeth every day, right? Hopefully we shower, right? Why? Well, it's because you're convinced of your need to do those things, hopefully. So why not apply that to this book that's living and active, to saying, yes, my greatest need is the word of God and to immerse myself in it. So carve out that time and have it be a non-negotiable for you. Here's the second strategy is to find a friend for accountability, someone who's going to maybe nudge you, someone who's going to maybe model daily time in the word, maybe a friend uh, who's not going to just accept your excuses, but someone who's going to maybe lovingly push you a little bit and maybe remind you of your greatest need. It could be an accountability person. It could be someone that you're studying God's word with. Here's the third one, though, is that it's to keep it simple. Like keep it simple. You, you don't, if you do this, it's fine, but if you, you don't need 43 commentaries you don't need the Greek New Testament next to you, carve out three hours in your schedule. If you want to do that, great. But keep it simple. Like if it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes. If it's 30 minutes, it's 30 minutes. Just wherever you are spiritually, dive into the word of God. And let me also encourage you, I think that we far too often take too large, chunk, too large of a chunk of scripture as we're studying it. We might actually do a, a whole chapter. I, I actually believe this may just be me here. This isn't you know, uh, infallible, but I think that's too much for us to actually go deep in order to feed our souls. I think a whole chapter, you might go 
wide, but it's, it tends to be too thin. So I'd encourage you just to do smaller chunks of Scripture and just keep it, keep it simple. Here's the fourth um, strategy here is to make it God-centered. Make it God-centered. I think so often when we read the Bible, it's like all about me. You know, we, we ask questions that revolve around me. And I would encourage you to ask the question every single passage that you study, what does this passage teach me about God? Or how, how does this passage show me God's power, God's love, God's patience, God's goodness? And just meditate on, on whatever answer, however the passage shows you about who God is. And then the last one here, and it's intentionally at the end, it's to implement prayer and application. So I'm not saying never do application. Application can be helpful, but save it for the end. And you can actually turn your application points into prayer requests. So you ask the question, as you read a passage, because this passage is true, what needs to change about my life? And just write those down and turn them into prayer requests to the Lord. I hope that those are helpful for you as you think about 2023. Now, just as I close, I just want you to stop and think about a year from now. Just think about a year from now. Maybe, Lord willing, we're closing out 2023. We're looking at 2024. Imagine if you took this resolution seriously. And by God's grace, you immersed yourself in the word of God every day. Think about the kind of person you'd be kind of follower of Jesus, the kind of friend or spouse or parent or employee that you would be if you actually took seriously God's word. That perhaps you could say the words in verses 7 through 11, but from experience. Oh, let that be true of us, not just up here, but in here, that in regards to the word of God, that it is better than gold. It is sweeter than honey. Let's pray together. God, we do give you praise for your, your word. Lord, we're just so thankful to have it. There's so many people throughout the world that do not have the word of God in their own language. And yet, or many of us have a, a dozen Bibles in our living room. Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, would challenge us not to allow our copy of God's word just to collect dust, but Lord, that we would be people of the book, that we'd be immersed in it, not just for head knowledge, but for the sake of worship of knowing you better, knowing you more intimately and being changed and transformed by it. Lord, do that work in us as we think about this new year. We pray in Christ's name, amen.